morning. Uh, today we're on week two of our extraordinary hospitality series. And I've got a clarification for you now. Not a notice, because I was told last time I led, I did notices and we don't do notices, even though we seem to have about four or five today. But anyway, um, no, no grudges there. Um, but just to clarify, we are doing Be Still in our journey groups. So if you see on the screen now, uh, Be Still, a simple guide for quiet time. We're doing that in journey groups. And then Extraordinary Hospitality, we're doing that for the next few weeks in our Sunday gatherings. Now, if you'd like to join a journey group so you can be part of the Be Still series, uh, please speak to Rachel or speak to Vicky, who's waving furiously now for you. And they'd be really pleased to help you. Um, also, we're not actually selling or giving away the Extraordinary Hospitality book, but you can still get it online if you wish. Um, now, you might see I've asked the worship team to stay on the platform, and I've asked them to minister to us. They've been brilliant already. We've had a really powerful time of worship. But I've asked them to minister to us with a song that many would consider quite old, and especially this version hasn't been sung for quite a while. But it's good to sing older songs and older versions, isn't it? Yeah, three people agree. And the words will go on the screen in a bit. So please join in if you know it or close your eyes and reflect on the words, whichever's best for you. Thank you, team. Neighbours, everybody needs good neighbours. Sing up at the back. With a little understanding. Can find the perfect place. Should be there for one another. Neighbors should be there for one another. That's when good neighbors become very half-hearted. Phil, very half-hearted. Get those arms waving. Come on. Neighbors, everybody needs good neighbors. Just a friendly wave each morning Helps to make a better day Neighbours need to get to know each other Next door is only a footstep away If you're a giant Neighbours, everybody needs good neighbours with a little understanding, you can find the perfect blend. Neighbors should be there for one another. That's when good neighbors become good friends. Neighbors should be there for one another. That's when good neighbours become good. Put another shrimp on the Barbie Mick. Friends. Let's give them a round of applause. Now let's have a moment of silence for neighbours, which is coming to the end. Um, I haven't watched it since they changed the theme tune. I think that's when it sort of uh, went downhill. Uh, but 
Last week, Vicky introduced this idea of extraordinary hospitality, and she explained clearly it isn't about doing the best dinner parties or having a revolving door of guests in your house non-stop. We looked at how we can use our unique gifts and talents to serve God and show welcome to others and extend his amazing invitation of love to those around us. And most importantly, she reminded us of God's invitation to come to him. And today we're going to look at who ourselves we should show hospitality to. And the bit of a title is, who is my neighbour, link, and who needs my welcome? And it would be great if I gave you a list of names, wouldn't it? And of who you were meant to show hospitality to. And especially those list of names, very clear. Then it said when you needed to do it. You'd be like, oh, that's good. And they were times that fit you. But also that they were the new lovely Christian family in the area with well-behaved children and excellent skills. They'll bring a trifle to give the same welcome to you. But I'm sure you can imagine things aren't that simple. And we're going to look at one of the most well-known passages of the Bible where Jesus tells the story of the Good Samaritan. And it's on the screen now. Now, I've been into lots of assemblies over the years, and I've probably used to saying this story over and over again. So as soon as I thought of this, I was thinking of the rhyme I used to tell in the schools. So as you're looking on the screen, it goes like this. A man was out of walking. A long way he had to travel. A long way he had to go. Travelling a lonely rocky road to a place called Jericho. But in a stony, silent place, he thought he heard a noise. That's a wolf. And suddenly and brutally, he was pounced on by the boys. They beat him and they hit him. They kicked him in the head. They stripped him to his birthday suit and left him there half dead. Who will save him? Who will help him? Who will come and show mercy to our man? And at this point, most of the hands in the assembly hall go up because the kids are like, we want to help. But just by chance, as luck would have it, a priest came passing by. He saw the man lying there. He saw him moan and cry. He saw the man was hurt. He was in deep distress. But the priest was very busy. He had a lot to bless. So he passed on the other side and went on his way. What a nasty interruption to his thoughts it was that day. Who will help him? Who will save him? Who will come and show mercy to our man? Well, just by chance... As luck would have it, a holy person came along. They were thinking godly thoughts. They were singing a godly song. Give me oil in my lamp, keep me burning. Give me oil in my lamp, I pray. Hallelujah. <laughs> he saw the man on the floor. He heard him deeply moan. He'd read something about this in the Bible, but it was on the shelf at home. So he passed on the other side and went on his way. What a nasty interruption to his thoughts was that day. He wouldn't help him. He wouldn't save him. Who will come and show mercy to our man? So who will come and help our bleeding, dying man? Not a priest or holy person, but a foreign Samaritan. He came and helped him. He got down on his knees 
And he paid a number of pennies for him to stay a night at the local hostelries. And in this story, we do find to others, we should be good and kind. We should be like the foreign Samaritan and help anyone in need when we can. And so that's the sort of interpretation of this story nowadays. And we've done different versions. We've done uh, the parable of the wolf's fan, uh, where we've had like a poor a poor noble Aston Villa fan lying on the floor and he'd think all the people there, the manager would come and help him, the star player would come and help him and then a Wolves fan, boo, comes and they're the ones who help with their seven fingers. <laughs> and here, here we know this story and there's actually um, some schools of thought that think that Jesus told this story a number of times, that it was a bit like a greatest hits. And actually, it might have been that when he's, he was asked a certain question, which we'll come on to in a moment, then he said, a man was on a journey, and people are like, oh, we know this story. That's only a theory. But often, we're aware of this story. We know what, what it's sort of about. The question that triggers it is really crucial to looking at who is my neighbour and who needs my welcome. We have an expert in law coming to ask Jesus a question of how he can get eternal life. And the passage of that is on the screen now. Now it seems a perfectly reasonable question. But the passage helps us deduce that he was actually testing Jesus. He wanted to justify it, says. So he asked Jesus... And who is my neighbour? So then you think, don't you know this? You're an expert in the law, not just somebody who's sort of careering about. You know things. You know the law. So when we say Leviticus and we give particular numbers now, he will know this. So in Leviticus 19.18, it says, Do not seek revenge or bear judge, grudge against one of your people, but love your neighbour as yourself. I am the Lord. The, the bit of you shall love your neighbour as yourself, quite a famous part, is actually a mini collection of sort of neighbourly parts in Leviticus 19.15-18. to 18. You shall not give an unjust judgment. You shall not be partial to the poor or defer to the great. With justice, you shall judge your neighbor. You shall not go around as a slanderer around your people and shall not profit by the blood of your neighbor. I am the Lord. You shall not hate in your heart anyone of your kin. You shall not reprove your neighbor or you will get guilt yourself. You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against any of your people, but love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. So it's not just that little bit. It expands. And some of this refers to very local squabbles and land disputes with the person next to you. And so when we're doing the Neighbours theme tune and we're thinking of Ramsey Street, for those who don't know, it's, it was a popular programme on BBC One, not as popular on Channel 5 now. But there, people around you, it actually did mean that. Because when I teach this to um, Year 7s and we say, who is the neighbour? And they go, the person next to you. go, no, it means more than this. But actually, it does refer to the people around you. But also, it contains other words referring to fellow Israelites. So, neighbour, people, kin. And 
those surrounding verses mean that your neighbour is likely to be those fellow Israelites. So not just those very near, but wider, your people. But that's not the whole story. Going a little further in Leviticus 19, it says, The alien who resides with you shall be to you as the citizen among you. You shall love the alien as yourself. For you were aliens in the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. I used to love this verse as a child. I had the idea of E.T. himself coming to my house instead of Elliot's, trying on my mum's clothes and then cycling off into Blackwood Woods in Streetly or Sutton Park for an adventure. Oh, however, doesn't mean that. Doesn't mean somebody from the planet Zog, even though looking around, welcome if you're from there. But this is a part of a small section that focuses on aliens, namely non-Israelites, who are living in the midst of the Israelite community. They too must be loved. So the expert of the law, because he's an expert, he knew that the idea of a neighbour wasn't limiting to just those around you or part of Israel. He knew it was a, a wider thing. So now we know what he knew. We're experts now, or experts as much as we can do in five minutes there. So we can work out what his question about who is my neighbour actually meant. His question is basically saying, who must I welcome, but who can I exclude? Who can I get rid of? Who doesn't it apply to? Who can I overlook and ignore? That's what he's saying. And the way he's trying to set a trap for Jesus, he knows there are people around such as the Romans, the tax collectors, the collaborators. They're the ones that you normal, common Israelite, they're not liking. They don't get, they don't want to be part of them because they're oppressive. We don't want to show love to them. The neighbour and the alien shouldn't apply to them, should it? Leviticus talks around including those who we may be in conflict with. Go back to those verses I went through. It wasn't all about people holding hands and skipping around a barbecue, which might be quite dangerous. But it's about there's dispute, but you should love them. There's dispute and quarrels. Maybe people are slandering. You shouldn't do that. So straight away, it's talking about those living amongst you. But Jesus, in this parable of the Good Samaritan, goes further and breaks down any barrier that that passage might give. He breaks down the barriers of race because the Samaritans were a different race, different, uh, almost collaborators they were known as with, uh, with earlier invaders. So people didn't like them for that. But also distance because a specific part, Samaria, that's where often people didn't travel. We see that Jesus went through that. And again, that often was seen as, oh, you wouldn't go through Samaria. People often took really long distances to go around. So he breaks down these barriers and is saying how we should show mercy to all. That Samaritan, the person that everyone probably, when he came on in, uh, in their mind, they'd be booing, they'd be hissing, they'd show fear. He is the example of how they should show mercy. So what's the answer to who is my neighbour? I've done something quite unusual this morning. I've listened to the words of Mary and Kevin. Because they said the C word, listen, 
a number of times when they're speaking earlier. And that's the answer to the question, who is the neighbour? The answer is compassion. Now, those of you who are English literature scholars would go, that doesn't make sense. Who is my neighbour? The answer, compassion, doesn't make sense. But applying the formula of compassion to situations immediately answers who my neighbour is. And what is interesting, the story, in the story, the two bit part players, the priest and the Levite, the holy person, both had good excuses. Their reasons for not stopping, they were good. They're actually from Leviticus in a number of chapters. Remember there, they wouldn't have had chapters, but not far from where the neighbour part is in. So in Leviticus 21.11, says they, that person would have been unclean because of their injuries. So they prioritised that over being compassionate. What do we, for good reasons, prioritise over compassion? That might sound quite a harsh question. And what we don't want today to be is a day where people are going away feeling guilty. But remember, God is full of compassion and he wants us to do the same. So sometimes we prioritise things over compassion. In the book, Caroline Lacey talks about prioritising what is comfortable and convenient. Now, there are times for various reasons we're not able to do certain things. But when do we put those first? When do those that being comfortable, when does the convenience actually go over when maybe we're being nudged by God or we know that there are times where we should just walk to the next chair, the next table, invite someone to join us, extend that welcome. It is easy to be overwhelmed by need. I was off work with COVID a while ago and I was surprised how many daytime TV adverts are for various charities and you would be bankrupt if you gave to all. So what we're not saying is go out now and be like every person you stop, they're your neighbour. But the first thing we've got as a tip and a hint is that one of pray. This isn't the soft option. And I remember as a young Christian, I thought it was. Because you get a missionary come in and they'd go, now, we'd like you to do the following things. And I would like you to give money to me every week. We'd like you to come out and join us where people are like beating us up every week, blah, blah, blah. Or you could pray and you're like, oh, we can pray, we can pray. Yes, yeah, I can do that. Yes, phew, oh, that's easy. Yeah, I'll do that. Yeah, I'll pray. And then it's not the soft option. Vicky, last week, when she talked about the power of praying for those people on the list and what's actually happened with that and the people who they were wanting God to break through and it happened. I was really challenged by that last week. And think about those people that maybe you need to show compassion to. And this is something we've been considering as a church, haven't we? We've been praying. We've had the review. But also, we're looking at how we can do things back on Allenwell. We're really keen to be real part of the area, not just located there. And we talked about the Eden team coming to help. But that doesn't mean they do it all. And it, tick, there's a box for us. We've been praying through and considering what it means to be here in Darleston as well and how to engage those around us. 
What I want you to think about is this. And I went into kids' church earlier. I was walking through, and there was someone hula hooping. And they said, oh, you won't be doing that in the main church, will you? And I was like, ha-ha, I've read the script for today. And so these are hula hoops. Now, don't worry, I'm not going to start gyrating or anything like that. But if you think here, this is my circle of influence. I'm used to it. I know the people I usually come into contact with. But I'm comfortable with it. I'm quite happy. I'm here. I'm stuck in it. So I'm there. I'm not going to go over there or there. And you might think, well, yeah, you do move around. Think of this metaphorically. Because we know there are often situations we don't go in. And again, please get, there are some situations that are unsafe. You need to be careful. You need to be mindful. But we're often stuck in where we think our circle are, the people that we're comfortable with, the people we talk to, the people that we show God's love to. So if I was to give a hula hoop to uh, Mick over there, there, and John, can you hold this one? Don't worry, you won't be hula hooping. We're not going to ever meet because their circle and their circle is totally different to me. Now, what we need to think about is how can this expand? Now, either if this hula hoop expands, it's going to cover so many people. So half of the idea about praying is knowing and getting that feeling sometimes. I was listening to Lectio recently, and they were talking about the different ways God can speak to you. And one of the ones was about conscience. And actually, I'd forgotten that. Sometimes you want the real spiritual ways. But actually, that means that there'll be times where we need to make that actual effort to move into other people's circle and to where they are. Sometimes, just by expanding our circles, we will then see new opportunities that God has for us. One of the things that if you, you can put your hula hoops now down, they're still worried I was going to get into hula. But one of the things that really made me think about this moving your circle, and Will and I were talking about a day we're doing in, the other, um, in a few weeks' time. And I was telling the story about my dad. And my dad, when he went to church, uh, very rarely, he often, you could tell he was sort of uncomfortable, but he'd start talking to whoever, whether it's someone on the leadership and it became very, very, very obvious that people weren't really interested in what he had to say. So they'd say their usual script of, oh, welcome to church. It's been a great service, hasn't it? And God's moved miraculously. And those weren't really the language he'd talk about. But he's there nodding his head and having a listen. And as soon as then he'd start talking about something he was interested in, like bowls, they wouldn't, they'd be like, this isn't on our script. We don't talk about bowls here. And then, so their circle would be tightening, going, we can't listen to this. And I'd seen at times, unfortunately, few people almost go, oh, sorry, I've got to move on to someone else. However, praise Jesus for Ray Barker, Stingray as we used to call him. He was the, uh, one of the elders at Streetly. And he he knew the script. He was like, cut him in half. He bled the Bible. But he also listened to my dad. And one day, 
the men's monthly topic, which was their men's group, which me and my brother used to laugh because the guy who did the announcements used to have a bit of a speech the, the way he said it, so he did his O's differently. So instead of the men's monthly topic, it was the men's monthly toe pick, which we found quite amusing and a bit unhygienic. But anyway, so he said to my dad, can't we move that men's topic? That way? Can't we come to the bowls place? And can't we then play bowls and you show us what to do. And to be honest, for me, that is a real example of widening your circle, moving your circle, and just going somewhere that maybe you won't expect. And my dad, still not a Christian, but for him, that was a really important thing that people were actually interested in him. So with it as well, what we need to think about is avoiding favoritism. We're only interested in people who fit our nice boxes. They've made themselves like this. We shouldn't be interested in them. It's quite funny. The people listening to the story of the Good Samaritan would have actually gone, that guy walking was a bit of a fool. Because that road was known for being dodgy. You did not walk there on your own. You often had to pay protection to go with you because people knew the bandits were going to be there. So people could easily go, he has brought that on himself. But actually, we show, we've shown that that person needs to show, being shown mercy to. In Manchester, like, we talked about gardening, Mary talked about gardening. I'm known to be a brilliant gardener. I'm known for it. Anyone who knows me goes to my house. But it's a specific type of gardening. It's called OPG. Heard of it? Other people's gardens. I'm brilliant. So when we take kids from school or for years we've done missions and we go to other people's garden, I'm there, I'm streaming, I'm pulling things down, I'm like going to it, I'm really into it. And then I go home to my, my jungle and I'm like trying to get through it. But I'm really good at other people's gardens. But one year when we went to Manchester and we took kids up to work with Audacious Church, Macmillan and Safer Families and help people and tidy gardens and people who need extra support. At one point, it almost got like, oh, we've got the nicest host. So people go in, oh, mine got us biscuits and oh, ours did this and they had a lovely chat to us about when they were growing up and their grandchildren. Well, our person didn't. They were stuck in the house and we could occasionally see the curtain move and then another person's house, the person wasn't even in because they didn't want anyone like seeing them. It's very easy, isn't it, to think, oh, they're, re they're really into what we're doing, so I'll spend more time with them. And sometimes there are open invitations and open doors we should work with. But also remember, people have got baggage. People have got things that maybe have stopped them opening up. A member of my family, and uh, I am using like aliases and stuff here, they walk into the local Tesco quite often, and there, a guy called Tom, who um, always there with his dog, and actually, most people would walk past, not really chat, but a lot of people do. But they've been called to help him, and that doesn't mean it's easy. There's quite often times where they've tried calling him, and 
it's like an excuse, like, oh, I've lost my phone. And actually, they found it's been pawned because he needs it to buy other things that uh, maybe we wouldn't approve of. There are times where they've expected them for lunch, for Tom for lunch on a Sunday, hasn't turned up. Things aren't neat and easy. But when we're talking about compassion, how can we show compassion to people like that? And also accept there can be a cost. We don't like that, do we, sometimes thinking about cost. But the Samaritan was inconvenienced. Time, he had to go out of his way to the inn. And also out of pocket, paying the denarii for that to happen. Finally, we need to depend on God's grace. Does it, if I said the characters from Charles Dickens of Mrs. Jellyby and Mrs. Pardiggle, does anyone know what, um, uh, what um, book they're from? All oh, right, you won't be in my pub quiz team then, that's fine. And uh, No, uh, I didn't know either. They're from Bleak House and both have a real zeal for Victorian uh, philanthropy and helping others. However, it's at the expense of other people as well. Jellybee ignores those closest to her, her family are ignored, while Pardigle is bullying and sort of forces people into adopting her help. And for them, being kind and charitable and showing compassion and mercy are more of a profession rather than from genuine motivation to help. But actually, at the time of writing that, Dickens himself was heavily involved with somebody, the philanthropist, the millionaire, Angela Bertrand Coutts. And far from dominating her projects, she actually let Dickens and his... Uh, desire for social reform, managed many of those decisions and she helped him and supported him while he did it. So for some of us, our compassion will be cheering on others and helping others and going, we are praying for you, we're supporting you. Maybe it is with um, time to go to meetings to find out what's going on. Maybe it is by finance and helping there. But it's also about knowing that we're doing it not to show how good we are, but to show God's grace and to live in God's grace. And as Vicky said last week, to extend that amazing invitation from God. So to finish, the last thing Jesus says to the crowd, to the person who is trying to catch him out, to anyone listening today, is go and do likewise. So have a think, how can you go and do likewise? Again, we come back to that prayer, prayerfully praying that this week. And I really challenge you to do. What does go and do likewise for you? We'd prefer a manual, wouldn't we? We'd prefer to know what to do in each situation. We'd prefer it being scheduled in our calendar at a time that's convenient. We'd prefer not the unknown and the, and the fear that comes with it. But Isaiah 41 says this. You are my servant. I've chosen you and not cast you off. Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you, I will help you, I will uphold you with my righteous hand. Remember that and many promises of God as we look at who our neighbour actually means and how we go and do likewise. As we pray, if the band can come up for us, let's pray. Father God, sometimes when we see a simple chapter the truth that comes from it and what it means to uh, put your compassion into action can be overwhelming. Help us to understand what you're saying to us individually. We thank you, you speak to us and into our lives. 
We pray where we are at, you would help us. And if we as some of you think, well, actually, we're in need at the moment. We can't even think about what's said. Help us to uh, understand what we need to do and who we need to talk to. But also help us to be a congregation who are looking for opportunities, not looking for excuses. Help us people who understand your plans for the Allenwell, your plans for Darleston, your plans for those around us in our family and friendship groups. And we ask that in your name. Amen. Just before the band comes to um, finish for us, one thing I forgot to say was remember as one, that we've got, that you might have seen the banners starting to be up around Warsaw and also Dudley and other areas. And this is something we have said about, but also we are going to be talking more about it. And this is a national thing, but has local consequences about your local street, what you're going to do in your local street, and bringing people, regardless of faith, together in their local streets. And we'd really like you to think about it. As I drive home, I think I'll see about seven. And these are because people, the council, are, are putting them up. It's not because Kevin and Rachel are going at night and sticking them up and they're getting teared down. This is the local council going, what can you do to bring people together? So this is an amazing opportunity. You can have a look on their website and uh, it's B1, is it? At one, sorry, at one, as one. And with that, not as one, that'll take you a band from the 90s. And so as one, and you can see what's going on in different places, but also some of the things you can get involved with. That might be, our, for some people here, your go and do likewise.